This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, if you've got a Bible with you, then if you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 9 and pop a finger, a bookmark, someone else's finger or something in that page and uh, then find John chapter 6. That'll confuse you. I'm going to speak this morning from the same passage that we looked at last week, but you'll be pleased to know we're going to be looking at it from a different angle and we are going to take into account uh, a different perspective from the Gospel of John as well. And uh, so let's, uh, I think, read it from John's Gospel rather than Luke this morning. So it's John chapter 6. We're going to read from verse 5. So this is John's, this is, uh, John's account now of the, the same events that, uh, that Luke records in his Gospel. Now John records it uh, in his So starting at verse 5 of John chapter 6. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months wages wouldn't buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed uh, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your words. We thank you for your presence. Uh, We thank you for your spirit, Lord God, just being so aware of you here as we worship you this morning. But in these moments now, Lord, we want to encounter you in your words and pray that you would speak to us. Give us ears to hear what you are saying to us. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to our hearts from your word now. Help us to understand what we read, but not just to be filled with knowledge, but may we encounter you and put into practice what you speak to us about. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was looking at this passage last year and uh, looking ahead in Luke, to what we're going to look at over subsequent weeks, I realised that there are a couple of things that I wanted to look at in this passage. And there are a couple of things that were essential to happen 
in order for the miracle to take place in the way that it did. So the first thing that we looked at last week was the disciples playing their part. And we see that in Luke's uh, account of uh, his writing of the, the same event, how the disciples played their part. They were involved. Jesus used them in order to make the miracle happen. And if you're with us, you remember that uh, we went on from there and said, well, that's, that was great for Jesus then, and him making the miracle happen in feeding this great crowd, which by the time you would have added women and children on as well, it could have been 15,000, 20,000 people. So quite a great crowd that Jesus feeds. And we say, well, what's your part? For the disciples, they had to play their part for the miracle to happen in that way. What's your part to play in Jubilee? And if you're with us, you remember that we looked at uh, different areas that you can play your part in this great mission that God has called us to together. And we looked at different ways in which you can serve. And for many of you, you are serving in different ways already. And uh, once again, I want to thank you for that. Thank you for your dedication and commitment to all that you do. For some of you, you might be looking in thinking, well, actually, I would like to serve in a different way. And I'd like to get involved. I'm not sure how to do it. And we produce some uh, material to help you find a, find a way. And uh, I think the, the leaflets are still out on the table in the foyer. Uh, and you can pick one up afterwards if you missed it. And that shows you a list of all the different teams that, well, most of the different teams, not quite all of them, that happen in Jubilee and ways that you can get plugged in and serve and play your part. Because the disciples played their part. They had to play their part for the miracle to happen in, in the way that it did. And actually for Jubilee to happen, we all need to play our part as well and bring the gifts and the passions uh, and the interests and the experience that God has put in us in order to fulfil what he's calling us to do together. I wonder if you were here, what was your reaction to that message? What was your action, perhaps, as a result of that? Have you done something with it? Have you put that into practice? Have you maybe thought, I need to pray about this, or I need to approach a particular team and say, you know, can I get involved? How do I plug in? I want to encourage you to do that if you haven't yet done that. That would be a great way of putting that into practice. But even before that happens, in the story that we've read, something else happens first. Did you see it? John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Do you notice that before Jesus can bless the food, something else happens. It's easy to miss it. And you might say, well, it's obvious. And it is obvious, but it's important. For Jesus to bless the food, he has to be given the food to start with. Do you notice that? It wasn't that he stole it off this lad. It wasn't that it was in his bag that he, he got out his pat lunch. Now he's given it by this lad who has his pat lunch still uneaten. Andrew finds this boy and he gives it all to Jesus. Do you notice that? He doesn't say, well, Jesus, I've got you know, a little bit here. I've got, um, I've got uh, you know, five loaves and a couple of fish. So you can have two and a half loaves and uh, one fish because I want something to eat as well, so I'll give you some and I'll keep the rest. He doesn't say that, 
What we're told is he gives it all to Jesus. And because he does that, Jesus can then use that in making the miracle happen that then feeds thousands, maybe 15, 20,000 people. So here we have an example of great generosity. Great generosity. And it's that theme that I want to bring out this morning. Now, to be fair, if this was my only sermon on this passage, I probably wouldn't bring out this theme. But it's not. We had it last week as well. And so I think it's right that we can look at it from a different angle this morning and look at this theme together because it's important and it makes the thing happen. The miracle only happens as it did because the disciples played their part and this lad was generous. And clearly he was very generous giving all his lunch to Jesus. Now in fact the Bible has quite a lot to say about generosity. It's quite a popular theme all throughout scripture. The subject of generosity. See this lad gave everything to Jesus in this moment. But too often when it comes to giving, we can find ourselves asking the question, how much, meaning really how little, can I give? Rather than asking the question, how much can I give? In an enthusiastic and generous way. And many of us, if we've been around churches for any length of time, would probably have heard a message on giving, or probably a message on tithing at one point or another. And we can think that if you know, we've got that sussed and we tithe our income, then we don't need to hear messages like this and the temptation is to switch off thinking, I've got it sussed, I'm all good to go. Well, I want to encourage you not to switch off because actually it's not just about that. This is a message about generosity and joy. So you can look happy and thrilled at the prospect of receiving such message this morning. Terry Virgo said this. He said, beware, in one of his books, beware the danger of assessing your spirituality selectively. God wants you to be seriously committed to giving away money. Generosity is one of the key characteristics of a grace-filled believer. So, would you describe yourself as generous. That's a fairly challenging couple of sentences, isn't it? Would you describe yourself as generous? Often we can think that if um, we find ourselves in a position where we have more than we need on a particular occasion or over a period of time, we can think that's just so that you know, we can increase our bank balance or our investment plan or savings or buy the latest uh, gadget or whatever it is that might be interesting to you. But actually, we need to realise that if that's the case, it's so that God has blessed you in order that you can be generous. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. If we really grasp the idea, I really grasp the idea of everything being the Lord's, then we're far less likely to have a problem with generous, enthusiastic giving because we realise that it's all his anyway. Now, as I said earlier, messages like this can, if we're not careful, turn into a message on tithing. And I don't want that to happen because this isn't a preach about tithing. 
Okay? In fact, I could even uh, call this message, Don't Tithe. That would get your attention, wouldn't it, probably? I didn't call it that, but we perhaps could call it that. Because tithing was something that was enshrined in Old Testament law. The people of God clearly understood that the requirement for them before the Lord was to give God the first 10%. The first 10%. It was called the tithe. Now that was in the Old Testament. That was under Old Testament law. But in the New Testament, you don't find Jesus abolishing the idea. Actually, Jesus makes it clear he's come to fulfil the law, not to abolish it. But as Jesus fulfils the law, we find ourselves not living under law anymore, but living under grace. Because Jesus has fulfilled the law, we now live under the grace of God. But before we get into the trap of thinking, oh, that means that it isn't relevant anymore, doesn't apply anymore, let's just pause for a moment and see what grace does. Because actually, in the New Testament, you find that Jesus always goes further. Grace goes further. So, in the Old Testament, the law was this, for example, do not commit murder. And most of us could probably say, I'm all good on that one, haven't killed anybody, I can tick that box, I'm fine. However, before you tick that box, Jesus says, not just don't murder, but don't even think about it. Don't even think evil of your brother or sister. Oh, whoops. <laughs> How are we doing now? You're still ticking the box? Let's have another example. In the Old Testament, Old Testament law, very clear, do not commit adultery. Many of us could say, well, well I'm, I'm good on that one. I'm okay, I can tick that box. What does Jesus say? Well, he goes further. He says, don't even look at a woman lustfully. Oh, how are we doing now? Are we still good on that one? And similarly, when it comes to giving, the Old Testament had the tithe, giving 10%. Actually, now in the New Testament, surely if grace goes further on all these other things, then on this subject it goes further too. Surely it's a good starting point because it's, we're reminded that actually everything belongs to the Lord. It's all His anyway. So surely it has to be at least that as a starting point, not to be slavishly applied as a law, but as a guide for New Testament, generous, grace-filled, enthusiastic giving. I mean, think about it, surely if 10% was good enough for the Old Testament people of God, how much more have we received from the Lord? How much more now as we're under grace have we had from him? Surely that's a good starting point. I'd, I'd, I'd go further. I'd, I'd probably say, if you are earning, if you're, if you're working, friends, I don't think you can build a New Testament, okay, New Testament biblical case, for giving less than 10%. Surely that's our starting point to move forward and to be generous and enthusiastic in doing so. Why? Because it all is anyway. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, it's probably worth me pausing at this point and saying, 
if you do already give, thank you. Thank you for generous, faithful giving. God has always been faithful to us as a church and continues to be faithful to us as a church. So thank you for playing your part in that. We really appreciate it. It helps us to do all that we want to do as a local church. It also means that you're honouring God in your life, which is just as important as well. You see, the issue isn't just the 10% or the 11% or whatever percentage that you might come to in terms of your giving. Actually, it isn't just about what goes in the pot. It's about all of it. It's about what's left over as well. It's what we give to God in that moment and it's also about equally what we don't give to God in that moment, what we use ourselves. Why? Because actually it all belongs to him anyway. It isn't just what goes in the pot that belongs to God. It's all of it. It's everything that he's given you. Jesus spoke most about the kingdom of God. Following that, if you look through the Gospels, you'll find his most popular themes were money, generosity, giving and treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart is, for example. We could pick out any number of passages to look at that subject from. Jesus calls us to be a radically generous people. Now, I know for many this is a sensitive subject. I know it's often isn't an easy preach to listen to. Maybe you're struggling financially. Maybe you're looking for work at the moment. I know that we're in what we describe as a challenging economic climate. I understand that. I really do. But if we're going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, with our whole hearts, and I'm assuming that for many of you that would be your desire, then it is a subject that we need to address. The Bible has lots to say about it, and we can't just ignore it. Now, I know that often people say, oh, the church is just after your money, they're talking about it all the time. Well, actually, the last time, looking back, my notes when we talked about a subject like this was September last year, and it was many months prior to that that we looked at the subject before that. So it isn't something we look at very often. Now, probably if we looked at how often the Bible talks about such a subject, we probably don't preach about it enough. So it's not something we're always talking about. But it is an important subject that we do need to refer to. And the new year is often a good time to get our house in order in different things, isn't it? And it's a good time to have a look at this area of finance and giving and generosity as well. Remember, what you have isn't actually yours. It belongs to the Lord because everything is the Lord's. He's loaned it to you. It's like you're a tenant. It's like when you rent a house, you don't really own the house. You you live in it and you make use of it and you enjoy it. But it's not really yours. It's the person who owns it. Actually, everything that you have, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's like we're tenants of the Lord. It's like he's given it to us on loan to look after, to steward wisely, to take care of. For a season. As I was saying earlier when we prayed, as you give a proportion to God, it actually represents something much more. It represents the whole. 
As we give something to God, a proportion to him, it represents everything. So actually, as you give a proportion to God, maybe it goes in a bucket, maybe it's a standing order you've set up already through your bank. As you give that amount to the Lord, actually you're saying, not just, not just this Lord, but help me use the rest of it wisely as well. Help me use the rest of it in a way that honours you and glorifies you. The reason I suggest that Jesus spoke so much about this subject is that you can tell what's really important to someone by what they do with their money. You can say all you like, but your bank statement or credit card statement reveals what's really important to you. Somebody once said, the wallet is a window to the heart. And it's true, it's a good phrase. The heart is hard to see. But you can see if someone is generous or their giving is joyful and sacrificial. So, let me ask you, how are you doing with this? How are you doing? Are you generous, enthusiastic, joyful in your giving? Remember, God asks us to be generous only because he has been generous first. God is the supreme example of generosity. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave. He was generous and is generous. He's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. God is the supreme example of generosity in the extreme. And everything we have is from him. James 1, 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Every good and perfect gift is from above. So actually it's all his anyway. Everything you have is from him. He's been incredibly generous towards you And maybe for some of you this morning, you haven't yet realised the generosity of the Lord. Maybe you're here with a friend. Maybe you're just looking into what uh, following Jesus is really about. You're, You're asking some questions. You're wondering. You're observing. You're thinking, I wonder what it is all about. Well, what you're looking at is a God who has been generous in the extreme. In making it possible for you to have a relationship with him. In giving his son in Jesus dying and then rising again. He's the one that made it possible. He gave. He's the generous God. And this morning, if you don't know him, then God wants to reveal himself to you as a generous God, as a generous, loving, heavenly Father. You might think you haven't had a great experience of an earthly Father. God wants to be your heavenly Father. And you might think, well, actually my earthly father, that's not, some, that's not good memories. <laughs> I understand that for some. But don't put them upon God. Or rather receive from God what he has for you in being generous and loving and faithful for you. So that was the second part of that passage that account, that miracle that I wanted to refer to this morning. 
And I suppose this is a message of two halves, really, because I felt I wanted to bring that out, not to spend the whole morning looking at it, but refer to it because I felt it was an important principle that we need to learn and be reminded of. Maybe we've got this one sussed, we can think, yeah, I've learned that. Well, probably for most of us, we need to keep learning it and keep reviewing these things and keep saying, oh, you know, is my giving really keeping up with where I want it to be? I'll encourage you, I'll urge you this week, particularly as we're in a week of prayer. Pray about it. Ask God to speak to your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what your response should be. But these last few weeks have been about what God is calling us to, what he's calling us to together. I haven't particularly called them a vision series or having a vision Sunday, but that's really what it's been, because it's been about what God is calling us to together. So we need to understand that, firstly, God is calling us together. Jubilee is his idea, and he is committed to building the church. Amen? Secondly, we need to understand that after he has called us together, he sends us out. He sends us to go. To go out. To be a generous people committed to following him. He sends us out into the places he's called us to. He sends you out into your place of work this week or your place of leisure with your friends and family. He sends you into the community that you live in to represent him and to be Jesus to those people that you come across and to speak of him and for him. And we're called to go with this message of love and grace, the good news of the kingdom of God. So when we say things like we want to be a church that loves God, loves one another, loves those who don't know Jesus yet, serves the city and reaches nations, actually in saying that, it fits with exactly what God has said already. It isn't anything new. It's straight from this book. So loving God is at the very heart of who we are. He should be at the very centre of our lives, both individually and corporately. Loving God is the starting point. And it's not just about corporate worship together, but it does include corporate worship together. And when we worship, we're not just singing songs, but rather we're wanting to encounter the living God. To receive his spirit afresh, to hear from him, as well as to glorify him and love him and praise him and thank him for all that he's done. So loving God is where it all starts. Loving one another is a natural outflow of that. And serving that we looked at last week is a good example of a way that we can love one another. But it doesn't just stop there. It's not just about that. Are we, are we genuinely loving one another? Seeking to build that sort of community that love, that loves and cares for each other. How are we doing about that? But you see, it's not just about the people here. It's not just about you who are here this morning. Actually, Jubilee exists for the people who are not here yet. It's about the empty seats that aren't yet filled. It's about the people that we haven't yet spoken to. It's about those who haven't had an invitation yet but would love to come along if they were asked. It's about those who are still looking in and investigating faith and wondering what it means to follow Jesus and are asking questions and maybe asking questions of you in the week ahead. Jesus sends us out to love those 
who don't know Jesus yet. And he's sent us, he's called us to go, to go and make disciples, to go and preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, as we were looking at in the last week or so. And part of that, like Tim was talking about earlier, is serving the city. So I love Derby, smile, this Amplified Day that Tim referred to are all good examples of ways that we can serve the city. See, I believe that Derby, and I think you believe this as well, you can affirm it if you agree with me in a moment, I believe that Derby should be a better place to live because there are Christians here. Do you believe that? Because we're here, because we're wanting to love God and love one another and love those who don't know Jesus yet and serve others and bring the good news of the kingdom of God to wherever he might send us, I think it should be a better place to live. I wonder what it would be like if suddenly all the Christians were removed from the city. I wonder what difference would be noticed. I wonder what would happen. What should happen is that people notice something's changed. Actually, God has called us to make such a difference that we should be making this whole city and the area a better place to live and be. Because we're here following Jesus, seeking to love each other and others who don't know him yet, and to serve the city and to play our part in making it a better place to be. So I wonder how you're looking to make a difference in your world. What's the way that you put this into practice? be different for each of us. God has called us to different places, different places of work or leisure, different communities that we're living in. So you put it into practice in a different way, and that's fine. But I want to ask you this. What way is it for you? How are you serving the city that God has called you to be part of? How are you loving those who don't know Jesus yet? And finally, reaching nations keeps our eyes focused on the bigger picture. We've got a global mission field. It's not just about the city. It's not just about even the area around us. This isn't about a parochial patch. This is about God's glory being seen in the whole earth. All of it. All of it. God is putting nations on your hearts, maybe even this morning. Maybe you'll go. Certainly you'll pray. I don't know what God's saying to us this morning. We're called to the ends of the earth. Yes, we need to start with the end of our street, (laughs) but let's not stop there, because God has called us to reach nations, to make a difference for him in his world. And so, if these are the things you want to live for, what, what is it we're going for? We've used this phrase, living out New Testament Christianity, in the 21st century. What does that mean? We haven't got time to unpack it all this morning, but just in these few moments as we begin to come to a close. It means this. It means being a church that's full of the Spirit, reaching out, growing, impacting the city, the nations, as well as the region around us. We're still living with the prophetic word that God spoke to us about, being a church of 500s, about seeing growth and impact and influence. Why? In order that we might serve God and have greater effects in this city and the other areas he's calling us to. It's in order that he might be glorified. We've had other prophetic encouragements, church church of many hundreds, about size and significance. What does it mean? 
What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? Well, firstly, it means this. We need to prepare for growth. We do need to prepare for it. We need to acknowledge the pressures that will come. And they will come with some pressures. Acknowledging that you won't know everybody anymore, even if you do now. It's been said that the largest hindrance to churches growing is this. Not wanting to grow. Because it's too easy to get comfortable in where we might be, knowing the people we do, and think, oh, I just want to leave it as it is. Whereas God's heart is that the church grows and has greater influence and sees more people saved and added into his kingdom. See, growth is a good thing. People sometimes think that as your church grows, it means that getting looked after is less likely to happen. You're not as well cared for. Actually, I think the truth is the opposite. Because as the church grows, you can put better structures in place. You can employ some staff to help some of those structures. So actually, things like pastoral care get better, not worse, as the church grows. We need to make sure that we build community in other ways, not just on a Sunday, but social times together, small groups as well, in life groups. Let's prepare for God to add to us and be aware of what he's doing. As well as preparing, we need to plan. And we are planning for these sort of things. We're looking at how we use venues. We're looking at our structure, our staffing. We're saying, Lord, what are you wanting to do? What would it be like when this place is full? How would that be? How would things work then? What would we do next? Where would we go next? What would it look like? We're starting to plan for some of those things. And as well as planning, we're starting to plant as well. So other churches and congregations are now in our vision. So God's put places like Burton on our heart. Places like Ashbourne, Ripley, some of these other towns that are around us. They're now in our field of vision in a way that they haven't been previously. So we know that we've said already that we're starting a small group, a life group in Burton. Eventually we'd like to see a church planted there and established. Not that we've got all the answers, but we want to play our part in reaching that that place for Jesus. It's not all going to happen this year. It's not all going to happen right now. We are preparing for it, praying about it, asking God what he wants to do and what his timing is. So we're planting for growth as well. And increasingly God is enlarging our vision for Jubilee, not just to be a local church for Derby, but he's putting other places on our hearts, enlarging our vision to other places around. And not actually just to plant small groups and churches in time, but also to serve other places and be an encouragement to other churches as well. You know that I'm part of the Christ Central Apostolic Team. We serve probably around about 90 churches in the UK and some abroad. And it's great to be part of a team that has a, a big vision and is stretching us and is looking at some other places and seeing what God is doing. But it's not just about what I'm doing, it's about God catching us up together in what he is doing on his earth. So I was in Leicester recently, I'm in Inverness next weekend. But actually increasingly God's got a role for us as a church to be a resource and to serve other churches as well. So hosting the conference with Julian in a couple of weeks' time is a good example of that, of us being able to serve other churches saying, come and receive, come and be blessed, come and be part of this. 
in order that you might be encouraged and resourced in your mission where God has called you to be. God wants Jubilee to be a blessing, not just to the city, but to other churches too. I believe God's got exciting times ahead for us. I want to encourage you to throw yourself in and be part of what God is calling us to together. He's got great plans, great purposes for his church. And it's a great privilege to be part of what he is doing. I, I guess all of these things will seem more appealing to us if we've let Jesus change our heart. If he really is at the centre of everything. If everything really does belong to him and is right at the very core of who we are. Giving generously, serving passionately, being caught up on his mission is far easier when you understand that it all belongs to him. It's all his anyway. And it's his earth and it's his glory we want to see in his earth. Jesus is building his church. But he calls us to give him something great to work with and to play our part. To give our time, our energy, our money and our commitment in order that he might be glorified and made famous. Amen? Shall we stand together? I'd like to pray as we close our time together. We've covered a lot this morning, aware of that. I'd just like us to pause for a moment before I pray, just allow the Spirit to speak to our hearts. Let's just give God a couple of moments to speak to us in quiet. See what he has to say now. Bring to God your thoughts of this morning's message, what your response might be. Let's bring it back to him now in these moments. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to our hearts, please? We pray, Lord, give us ears to hear you now. Thank you, Jesus, that you are committed to building your church. Thank you that you've called us to be part of it. Thank you that you've called us not just to watch what you're doing, but to play our part. Just the disciples got to play their part in the miracle of you feeding that great crowd. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to play our part too. And we want to play our part both in giving our time and our energy and our commitments and also play our part in giving money as well in order to follow you wholeheartedly. Father, would we be generous in our giving? Lord, would, it, would we be a generous church? I want to pray, Lord, for Jubilee right now. I pray, God, that we would be known as a generous church. Father, I pray we would be generous to other churches, other places, in giving away what you've given to us. I pray we'll be generous in looking to bless other people in your name. 
And I pray, Father, that Jubilee will be full of people who are generous to the extreme, who really understand that it's all yours anyway. And you've called us to be stewards and to use what you've given us wisely for your kingdom. So, Lord, would you help us with these things? Lord, forgive us when we struggle. Forgive us for when we try and hang on to things. Forgive us for when we don't put you first. Help us, Lord, to be generous in every area of our life. Full of joy and enthusiasm when it comes to giving. Lord, would we be known for that, please? And, Father, for these things that you're calling us to be part of in the way that you're building Jubilee, in the way you're enlarging our vision, not just for this city, but, but for beyond. Lord, we, we pray, oh God, open our eyes to what you want to do in us, please. Lord, show us what our part to play is. Show us where we fit. Show us what contribution we might make. In order, Lord, that you might be glorified. We ask it, please, in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us this morning. God bless you. do hope to see many of you at prayer meetings this week, particularly on Fridays. We gather half seven at the Hallmark Hotel, and we'll be back here once again Sunday uh, next weekend at 10 o'clock. God bless you. Have a great week.